Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. All right, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and I apologize. Some of us have heard John chapter 4 a lot over the last few days. But can I tell you, I can't get off of it. I can't get off of it. The Lord has been speaking to me over and over and over again through it. And um, this is where we're going to be. Um, Let's go down in John chapter 4, verse 4. It's talking about Jesus and his disciples, and they're traveling. And it says, and he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now let's stop right here for a second, and let's, let's do a little bit of history, a little bit of Bible study, if you will, with me for just a moment. How many know that God chose to reveal himself to the world and he chose one group of people to do that and that was the Jewish people? He could have chose anybody, but he said, I want to show who I am to mankind and guess what? I choose y'all. And you might think, wow, I, just, that's, I feel so special. Thank you, Lord, for choosing me. That's not... The, mm. Yeah, that was a blessing. It for sure is a blessing, but man... That also means some hard times ahead for being God's chosen people. But here's the thing. Sometimes God's chosen people, um, they had this way about them because they were like, we're God's chosen people. And then sometimes they were like, well, you guys know, we're God's chosen people. Right? You've never been that way, right, in your life? Well, you know, do you know who I am? Right? Right? And, and I know today we live in, a, in, a, in America today, we have some, some turmoils with, with different races and people groups going on right now in America today, if you think that is bad. Um, this was going on back in Jesus' time as well. Because there was a group that the Jews hated, and these were the Samaritans. Have you ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? We talked about it a few weeks ago. The reason that story is so shocking, because... The Jewish priest comes by and this Jewish elite comes by and then neither of them help the man that's hurting. But the person who ends up helping the Jewish man that is hurting is the Samaritan. The Samaritan was a half Jew and the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans so much and what you didn't realize, I was reading this, I said, and he had to pass through Samaria and you guys just read that and you were like, oh, okay, so he had to pass through Samaria. It means nothing to you. But to the audience who read this in that day, they're like, wait a minute. He went through Samaria? He went through Samaria? The place they were going, most people, even back in in, in extra-biblical accounts, the Jewish people wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go way out of the way to avoid Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. And Jesus, he goes through it. I guarantee you the day he told his disciples, all right, let's go. We're going on, is it to Galilee it says that they're headed? We're, we're going there and, and they, 
They're headed to Galilee, and they're like, all right. He goes, all right. And he took the path towards Samaria. I'm sure the disciples freaked out just a little bit. Whoa, 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 Jesus. This way. No, no, we're going through. You're just taking a shortcut? No. It's not just a shortcut. There's something there. Can I tell you, Jesus, and, and, and what's so crazy about this too, ah, man, is we're getting ready to meet a Samaritan woman who the Jews, they hate the Samaritans, and men and women, you guys know, you think, you think gender inequality is bad today. It's nothing compared to the world in the first century. And so here's Jesus. He's about to have a meeting with a Samaritan woman. What I think is so crazy is this story in John, if you go back up one chapter, it's paralleled right against where Jesus meets with a Jewish Pharisee. Here he is, the Jewish elite and the Samaritan woman. And I think it's crazy because sometimes we... We can, we can really be, some of us are really cynical of the sinners, and those, we're like, oh, they're just so awful. And other of us, our hang-up is the religious crowd. Oh, they're just too religious. And what Jesus came to do was seek and save the lost. Both. And so in chapter 3, he's meeting in the secret of night with a Jewish leader in the middle of the night, and fast forward to chapter, he's meeting in the middle of the day with a Samaritan woman. And I just, that, that should not be lost on you when you read this story. You need to go back and read the account of Nicodemus. And that's where we get the most famous scripture in the Bible is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here's Jesus and he, he's coming through Samaria through the town that the Jews hate. He did not go out of their way. And it's the middle of the day. It says it's the sixth hour. It was high noon. Students, what's it like at high noon? You were out there yesterday. It's hot. It's hot. And it says a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And you might not think of anything of this, but if you lived, I've been to Africa before where they don't have running water guess what you don't do in the middle of the day go get your water even in some places in the world that they still have to walk out of town with jars to go get their water when do you do that who usually do it first thing in the morning while it's cool and in this time in this culture all the women would have gone together all the women would just Huddle up in a group for safety in numbers and also so they could socialize, right? And they would grab their wa empty water jars, they'd take them together, they'd fill them up, and they'd come back into town. And yet here's a woman who's alone in the heat of the day. It wasn't just simply because she'd forgotten. It was that this woman was an outcast. This is a woman who didn't belong in the group. She was a loner. And there's a reason why for this. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, give me a drink. Everyone say, give me a drink. 
It says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And what I love this right here is in verse 6, we see that Jesus was wearied. And so he sat down next to the well. And then when the woman shows up, he says, give me a drink. And I just think this is great because here's the thing. Yes, Jesus was God. But did you know that he became a man? He became a man that when his friends died, he cried. He became a man that when he walked for a long time, he got tired and had to sit down. And when the sun came out, he got thirsty. Like he was just as much human as you and I are. And that's exciting to me when I read this. Sometimes like when Jesus said, give me a drink, it's showing his humanity. God became a man. He's experienced everything you've experienced. When he stubbed his toe, it hurt. God became a man, and so he says, give me a drink. And I just want to say, like, even to our youth staff over the last couple of days, as we were out there in the hot sun ministering and everything else, um, we might have gotten a little bit uh, direct with each other from time to time, but I was so proud how even as we were hot and tired and worn out and maybe frustrated at times, everyone continued just to serve with gladness. Even if you didn't agree with something another worker was doing, People just continue to serve with gladness. Guys, the point of the body of Christ isn't to agree together. The point of the body of Christ is to work together. If you, if you, I've had people say, you know, I, I like to go to that church because everyone's like, they believe like I do. And I just hate that statement. I just hate it because we're supposed to be a body. But when you say that, you're saying, you know, I'm a hand. I love that church because it's just full of hands. I guess we can just all high-five all day long or something. I don't No, Sorry, I had to go. Anyway, um, no, we're supposed to be different. And so we're wandering around the mountain the last couple of days doing all of our stuff. We were all different. Everyone's personality came out as themselves. Thank God. Thank God you guys aren't all like me. Hey, now, there's too many amens on that. So Jesus was where he said, give him some, something to drink. Now let's get into the beaten potatoes of this. Because in verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's already saying, here's the strikes against me. I'm a woman of Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and our students should know this one well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, excuse me, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He asked her for a drink and she's like, why are you talking to me? He's like, if you knew who was that, if you knew the gift of God, if you really understood what was going on, you'd ask me for a drink. Of course, she doesn't understand, right? Because she's still thinking in the natural, not the supernatural. And the woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. You're not just going to splash some water down in there. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, now, guys, I know you guys, when you read the Bible, like you, like, are you greater than our father Jacob? 
he gave us this well and drank it himself, as did his sons and livestock. That's, dude, this woman is getting sassy with Jesus. As the kids say, she's getting salty. She's getting salty. She's saying, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank it from himself, as did his sons and livestock. And what's ironic is, is yes, he is greater. In fact, in fact, Jacob knew of the blessing of God and knew that someday a Messiah would come through his line. He knew, Jacob knew that someday someone greater than him would come. He knew it. And here's what's so crazy too, is at the time, the Romans, the Romans had taken over the world. And all the people of that region were being oppressed by the Romans. Now, some of you feel like you're being oppressed by the liberals. Some of you feel like you're being oppressed by the Republicans. You don't know oppression. Right? When I, when I describe it to my girls sometimes, I have to be like, you know, the, the Romans were kind of like the Galactic Empire, right? Darth Vader, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, how do you explain it to a kid? Like, like the Romans were oppressing the world. And the people of that region were looking for a savior to come. And they were, and we've talked about this before. I like to talk this, about this at Christmas time. But, but they were looking for a savior to come on a white horse with a sword to get rid of the Romans. And what did they get? Um, boy, Kai put it the other day. What they got was, was a little poopy baby in a feeding trough. A baby in a manger in a barn. Not a king in a palace with a sword and a horse. And so this woman right here, she knows the story. We're going to see this here in just a second. She's saying, are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus says in verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And, and, and can I stop and just say, like, like isn't that us? Like how many times in our lives do we go to things because we're thirsty? And so we're like, well, I'm thirsty, so I'm going to go to this thing. We drink of it, and what happens? We're thirsty again. And, and for each one of us, it's something different. The, the thing that you use to quench your thirst is not the same thing you use. Each one of us have a thing that we go to. Let's, let's pick on the easy ones real quick. Porn. Some of us go to porn. Some of us go to alcohol to quench that thirst. Some of us just go to that one friend so we can gossip about people. We don't think it's gossiping. Like each one of us go to something different. And I'm, what I'm saying, if it's good or bad, if we're using it, instead of going to the Lord, it's just a drink that you're going to drink and then flush out. And what is it that you, I mean, that's my question for you, what is it that you drink to try to quench the thirst? That isn't the Lord. What is it that you do? I like to pick on Netflix. Sometimes that's what we do, right? Ah, just, 
And, and I'm going to tell you this morning, can I, I'm going to be real honest this morning. We've all been in, well, maybe we haven't all, but you know, like this morning in service, there was that really quiet moment that hit during worship. And I know some of you were just like, oh, this is so sweet. The sweet presence of the Lord. This is so sweet. Can I tell you guys something? In the last three months of my life, I have avoided silence at all costs. Because every time it gets quiet, I just feel anxiety and stress build up in my heart. And so when I'm driving down the road, I turn on the music or I turn on the radio or I call somebody. When I'm walking across the property by myself, I'm talking to myself out loud. When I go to bed at night, I turn on a podcast. And I used to always do that, but I always put a sleep timer on it so that it would stop playing after about 10 or 15 minutes. But now I just let it play all night long because when I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't want to hear nothing. And so we have this silent moment in the middle of the service and everyone's like, oh yes, the presence of the Lord. And I'm freaking out inside. Can I tell you what I've been doing is I've been trying to drink. I gotta, I gotta kill the silence. Uh, I need to, and in that moment right there, the Lord, He just goes like this. He just goes, Drew, because, because I, there's nothing I can do. We're in the middle of a room. I, I'm the pastor. I can't be like, uh, start playing again. Come, Jamie, just come on. Just, maybe get Gabriel's attention. Just play a beat. Doesn't matter what it is. I can't do that. No, I'm stuck in this silent moment. But thank God it was all of you. And in that moment, I had a breakthrough where the Lord told me, Drew, you're about to preach on drinking and you've done podcasts and music and phone calls and that's what you've been doing to try to quench that thirst. But in that silence, what you really needed was me. And so I'm not quite as terrified now the next time I start riding down the road in my car truck and I'm by myself and it gets quiet because Jesus is what I should have been drinking the whole the living water right the living water and so my question is what have you been drinking it could be sin it could be something mundane in your eyes but we're all drinking something and I tell you whatever it is that you're drinking if it's not the living water that Jesus provides you will be thirsty again you will be thirsty again Mm, what verse am I in? 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. That, that's the difference here. Is that How do I know if I've got the water? The living water. Can I tell you this how you know? It starts welling up out of you so that other people can drink from the thing you've got. So that when people get around you, they start finding life. And that, that's my question. When people are around you, do they find life? Are you drinking water or are you drinking living water? Because the supernatural effect of living water is it just comes right back out of you. Not, you know, I know the kids probably right now are just like, what in the world? That's gross. No, no, this is holy. This is holy. This living water comes out of you. 
and lives out. And guys, eternity has never seemed more real to me in my entire life. Do you realize if you could really wrap your mind around the fact that eternity is real, then when life just smacks you in the face, you're just like, oh man, this is hard. It's painful. It hurts. It's rough. But heaven's coming. Like, like that's real. So this is hard, but that, like, it's worth it. All I got to do is run through this race, just like running an endurance race. All I got to do is make it from here to the next turn. And when I get to the next turn, then I'll tackle what's around that corner. But there is a finish line someday. Can I tell you? There is a finish line someday. Whatever difficulty you're going through, at some point, there's a finish line. And I, I have good news. You might be climbing up a hill right now and it hurts and your lungs are burning and your legs feel like they're giving out. There's a downhill somewhere. There's a downhill somewhere and you can just coast down that thing. Or if you're on my team, we push it down those downhills, don't we guys? But there is a finish line. Eternity is real. When you cross that finish line, the Lord will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the race will be over. And you can just rest. You can just rest. Eternal, eternal life is real. And the woman said to him, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't understand. She still thinks that if Jesus will just give me this living water, then all my problems will be solved. I won't have to come out here and draw water in the heat of the day anymore. I won't have to be a loner anymore. Jesus, if you give me living water, then all my problems in the natural will be fixed. I'm telling you this morning, listen, if you say yes, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, and you say yes to Jesus today, all your problems will not be fixed. You're still, in this world, you will have trouble. You're still going to have to grab your jar and go to the well in the heat of the day every day. Well, maybe not anymore as we see at the end of the story, you're still going to have the issues that you had. But you won't. She still doesn't completely understand. And so Jesus, he says this, okay, now she's asking for the water. At first she was scoffing about the water. At least now Jesus has got her to the point where she's asking for his living water. And so Jesus responds in a very strange way. He says, go call your husband and tell him to come here. And, and I just, I want to take a step back to this other verse we just went through, is, is about meeting the physical need. Because I do believe as, as people of Christ, it's, it's the, in James it says, pure religion is taking care of the widow and the orphan right? That there is an element as people of God that we should help meet people's needs as they come up. But what I've seen so many Christian organizations do that do benevolent ministries is it becomes all about the benevolence and Jesus over time doesn't become part of it anymore. So now it's just we're building houses for people or we're giving food to people or we're giving shoes to people or and there's no Jesus in it anymore. Now, is it good to build houses for people and give food to people and get shoes? Like, these are great things to do. But we do it 
to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And so notice here, Jesus doesn't say, okay, yeah, here's your drink. He doesn't just meet her physical need. He wants to go deeper than that. And so he starts getting in her business. And so we think, we think when a preacher comes up and starts getting in our business that they're not being led of the Lord. Because here's what Jesus does. He says, go call your husband. He gets her in her sore spot. He, he comes for her sin. You know what it is? He's coming for the area of her life where she's been trying to quench her thirst because the woman says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. What he's saying to her, what you've been doing to quench your thirst is going from guy to guy to guy to guy to guy. That's what you've been drinking from. Will God get a hold of us and put his finger on our sin? Will he point our sin to us? Yes, he will. And I believe in, in the church today, there's some of us that have heard messages that are about grace, 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 grace. The message of grace isn't n never pointing out someone's sin. No. If I go to the doctor and I have cancer, it's not gracious of him to say, well, you're doing all right. Bud, you got some cancer in you. We're going to have to cut this out. We're going to have to get this out of you. Well, thank you. I didn't want to hear that. What I love, though, is Jesus doesn't leave her in this condition. He doesn't leave her in this spot. But the woman, now that she realizes that Jesus is a prophet, he's a religious man, she turns to her religion. She turns to her religion, and this is what she says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, and, and what I, she, she's debating churches here. She's debating religion. There's no way you can be right. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What I love about this is this goes back to the Nicodemus thing. Because she's saying, we worship here, but you know Nicodemus and his crowd, of course, I don't know if she knew Nicodemus, but there's this reverence of, they worship there in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, look, look, it doesn't matter if you're Nicodemus or if you're a Samaritan woman, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And can I say to us today, is some of us really, really like the spirit and some of us really, really like the truth. We know the truth crowd. That's the people who really want to beat you over the head with the word. 
right? And, and when Jesus said spirit and truth, these are two words that kind of are almost at opposite ends of the spectrum. Spirit it, the, literally comes from the word wind. Something you can't see, something you can't hold on. Truth is objective reality. If you go look up in the original language. So this fleety thing you can't see and this objective reality. So some of us really want to be truth people. Well, you know what the Bible says. We just beat people over the head with the word. There's a lot of truth churches out there that never let the Spirit of God move in their service. But then there's the Spirit crowd who get so loosey-goosey in the things of the Spirit that they never are anchored in the Word of God. And you can get fleety with your emotions and everything else. And I, I mean, charismania had this problem, especially through the 90s. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not trying to make a war between the truth crowd and the spirit crowd. I'd almost think that Nicodemus would be the truth crowd and the Samaritan woman would be the, the spirit crowd. But Jesus is saying, look, I'm not trying to cause a war between the, this mountain and this mountain. What I'm trying to tell you is that true worshipers, they don't worship in the spirit crowd or the truth crowd. They worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Someone should be getting excited about that this morning. This isn't a rebuke of anybody. This is good news that the hour is coming. This is what I love. The hour is coming and is now here. What? Why would he even say it like that? The time, Jesus said, look, Jesus said, I'm here. I'm here. Let's do this now. When true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, and the woman responds to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know the rescuer is coming. That guy on the white horse with the sword in the palace that's going to save us from the oppression. That's, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called the Christ. Uh, I like to say it to this to kids, the rescuer. The rescuer is coming because they might not know what a Messiah is. A rescuer is coming. And it says this, when he comes, he will tell us all things. This is strange because guess what Jesus just did to her? He told her all things. But he didn't stop by saying, you know, you've been living with a guy that you shouldn't be living with. That's not where he stopped. He stopped by empowering her by saying, look, True worshipers, you can be a true worshiper, and true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. I'm telling you, if you're ministering to people the message of the gospel, and all you're doing is telling them about their sin, and not their identity as a true worshiper, then you've missed the whole thing. It's like Jamie and I, we've been talking about like helping these teenagers work out their testimonies. Sometimes our testimonies is just, just all the bad stuff we did. This is how bad I was before I knew Jesus. Da -da 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 -da. It's almost like we're glorifying the devil. Or, you know, I lived with five different husbands and the guy I'm with now, he's not, he's not even my husband, you know. And like, like, it's this whole, but that's not what Jesus does. Like, and, the, and the way we like to tell people is when you give your testimony, this is what we say. What was your life like before Christ? How did you meet him? And what is your life like now that you know him? 
If you can break your testimony up in those three things, you've got a great testimony. And I would encourage you, if you haven't thought about that, that this afternoon you should go home and start contemplating, what was my life like before I knew Christ? How did I meet him? And what is it like now? And can I tell you, young people, think about this. If you don't know, if you can't answer those three questions, it could be that you're just a cultural Christian and you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. I'm not saying that's the case. It said it could be. If you can't say, wait, what was the time that I met him and my life shifted and changed? Because this woman right here, we're about to see her life's going to shift and change. And when Jesus comes to her, she says, she says, I know he'll tell me all things. I know the Christ. And Jesus says this thing. You know, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as the I am. God, when people ask who you are, what are we going to tell them? You say, he said, I Tell them this, tell them, I am. I am. Which is just crazy. Like, so simple. Wait, you're not the God of, you're not the sun God, you're not the moon God, you're not the harvest God, you're not the river God, because there was all sorts of gods. God, what's your name? And his name was this, I am. You're what? I am everything. I am everything. I am. And so here is the, the I am. And when Jesus answered here, and we lose a little bit of it as it's translated into English, but she says, I know the Christ will come. Jesus responds to her and says, I who speak to you am he. What, here, what is he saying? I am. I am he. I am God. I am the Messiah. I'm everything you need. And when just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. What is this guy doing? He's upending the social norms. But no one said, said but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And I want to say right now, what strikes me in this verse is that she leaves behind her water jar. Like, like, like when, when he was writing this down, John was writing this down, he put that in there on purpose. The thing that she would use to quench her thirst in the physical represented the thing that she would use in the spiritual. She decides, you know what? I'm going to leave this behind and go tell everyone that I found the, I don't need the water anymore because I found the living water. She leaves it behind. And I would say to you today, what do you need to leave behind? What do you need to leave behind? Because you know what, if you leave it behind, you can't go back. Like if she leaves it there, she can't go back to it to draw water with it again. It's out of her life now. All she has left now is the living water. And she runs into town. And, and what I love is her evangelistic strategy is, is she asks a question. Could this be the Christ? She gives a testimony. And as so many, we, some of us, we've tried to give our testimony and show the gospel and we're just trying to beat Jesus into people. But she's like, look, Here's what Jesus did for me. Could it possibly be real? The decision's on you now. 
Like it wasn't on the people of the, like she didn't try to force them to believe anything. She just said, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Could he possibly be the savior of the entire world? Could it possibly be him? And I just want that excitement to well up in us that every time we get around somebody, we could tell them, do you not, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Could it be that what I've experienced is the real true reality of all things? And it could change you too. And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, teacher, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? These guys hung out with Jesus all the time. They couldn't figure stuff out. Just, just know that when you struggle, you're just like the apostles. God, I don't understand this. You're in good company. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And I believe as he's saying it, the town is coming towards them. Don't say wait. He says, look, the fields are white for harvest. The town is coming towards them. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. I believe that as some of those people were walking towards Jesus, they knew that he was the Messiah. Their heart had already shifted before they even got out to that well to hear what Jesus had to say. It says, for here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and yet have entered into their labor. Then it says, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days in a place that he wasn't supposed to be. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the Lord. And I love that in verse 39, it says, we believe because of the woman's testimony. But in verse 42, it says, we now believe because we have heard for ourselves. And I know this is something we pushed on our young people all weekend long, is that it comes a time where you have to own your faith for yourself. Can I tell you, when you stand before God at the end of eternity, it's going to be, did you believe for yourself? It can't be like, well, Lord, you know, I tried to believe, but the church hurt me. Or this minister hurt me. Or my parents, you know, they just, they weren't so good to me. Well, you didn't ever believe for yourself. Like, it tells us in Scripture that many will say to him on that day, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? And he's going to say, look, I don't know you. Why? Because you never believed for yourself. And we say it all the time to the, to the, to the teenagers, are you believing just because Jamie believes or Eddie believes or Michaela believes? Or do you believe for yourself? 
Like, like, how do you do that? And I love it because it's the word of Jesus that causes them to believe. It's the word of Jesus that causes them to believe. It says, because we have heard for ourselves. And, and this is just like, this is a theme that is echoed through John. It's hearing the words of Jesus for yourself. Because if you go back to the first chapter of John, if you go back to the first chapter, it says, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word becomes flesh. Jesus is the Word. If you fast forward to one of my favorite passages, John 15, he says, you're clean. How are you clean? Because the Word has made you clean. It's all about the Word of Jesus. And did you know His Word is spirit and truth? And so here's this woman who was the scum of the earth that no one wanted to be around, going from man to man to man to man to man, and she becomes the very first evangelist in the Bible, the very first person to bring other people to Jesus. And so wherever you're at this morning, I'm going to tell you what, Jesus wants to use you. He, wants, he has a plan for you. You feel like you're alone. You feel like He can't use you because of the things you've done in the past. I'm telling you, this is encouraging. No matter how far you are, what you've done. There's some of you in this room, we've known you for years. And you're like, man, this group doesn't know about this thing in my life. I'm going to tell you, listen, Listen to me. Jesus forgives that. And he can still use you in spite of that. And you think, well, no, I've got to go through a process of, of forgiveness and healing and stuff. Can I tell you, grace is not based on works. You can never do anything to earn the grace of God. All you have to do is put it under the blood of Jesus, and just like that, you're forgiven. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. That woman didn't have to go back into town and prove anything to anybody. She'd experienced Jesus for herself and she was just going to tell people about it. You don't have to defend yourself anymore. You just have to be empowered with the living water that's flowing out of you. Can I tell you that woman had living water flowing out of her? Well, the woman who was ashamed to even hang around other people runs into town and said, I've met the Christ. And that's where I want to live today. That's where I want every single one of you to live with me. And that as we go into Tuesday and Wednesday, that's what I want our heart to be as we're sitting there. It's like we've met the Christ. How do we get this living water out into our community? So if you guys would stand with me, uh, we're going to pray. And thank you for letting me take my time to, to preach this word. And I know some of you heard this word and heard this word and heard this word, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like, maybe go home and read it again um, because faith comes from hearing. And I really wanted to go twice as long about some of this stuff in here, and I just had to, like, boop and keep going. But, but listen here, Jesus is good. Jesus, he will go out of his way to find you or he will come into the crummy place you are to find you. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you. He 
wants relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. Will you bow your heads? I just, I just want you to think for a second, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Was it, what is it that you're using in your life to quench your thirst? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You've never surrendered to Him as Savior and Lord. And if that's you this morning, my question is, what have you been drinking to take the place of the Creator of the universe that wants to know you? Or maybe this morning, you're slightly religious, kind of like the woman at the well. She was a little religious herself. And yet, like me, you have areas of your life where you still, uh, you, try to, you try to drink instead of just trust the Lord. Leave your jar behind today. Leave your jar behind today. Trust Him. You don't need that jar anymore. Trust Him. Trust Him. I know it can be hard. Drawing from that well has been a sense of safety and security to you for so long. Leaving that jar behind can be hard. But I can tell you there's life. There's life. Father God, I come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I just pray that in this room that we would be people of surrendered hearts. Lord God, as we, as we hear this, some of us, we don't know you. God, I pray that we would just say yes to you right now. Lord, that we know that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord God, that you can take away all sin and all shame. Lord God, I pray for those who've been drinking from wells they shouldn't be drinking from. God, that you would give them a conviction in their heart to realize that things need to change. Lord God, and they would leave the jars behind and surrender to you completely. And God, I pray, Lord, that us as a church Lord God, but hear this message today and realize that the message we heard, like, like Pastor Drew, that's great and all, but I think I'm walking in victory in this area right now. That Lord, that we would take this message and realize, Lord, that we need to be people who have living waters flowing out of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit across this congregation. And that Jesus, that you would just move. God, Lord, we do not just want to be a church who does churchy things. Lord, we keep saying, Lord, that give it about four months and the harvest will be ready. But God, something we realized this weekend is the harvest is it's ready now. It's ready now. There's people who need you now. So Lord God, let us start. Let us start. Let us start today being the laborers we're called to be. And I thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.